Hey folks, JJ here. I'm just stepping in for a minute to say that Mackenzie and I are starting this podcast. We're really excited. We've got some good stuff in the can. However, a bit of a disclaimer, we're still figuring out the best way to record our audio. And so you might notice some imperfections, some what I will call excitingly loud moments. And uh, it's, it's a journey. Bear with us while we figure out the best setup. And we hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm Mackenzie and I'm JJ and this is The Little Death, a podcast about the true final frontier, death. Basically, we ask the questions most people spend their whole lives avoiding. We're not experts on death. We're just a couple of death-obsessed weirdos on the hunt for a more honest conversation and information about death and dying. So, Bridget, hi. Hi. Welcome. Thanks. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited that you're going to be with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like your 30-second, this is who I am, elevator pitch. Yeah. About myself. Yes. My name is Bridget Kelly. I live here in Portland, <laughs> Maine. <laughs> um, do a lot of local theater. I'm excited to hear what you guys have to ask about death. <laughs> Perfect. So Bridget told me when I asked her if she maybe wanted to do this podcast that Mm -hmm. she is a little scared of death. The thinking about my own death brings me great anxiety, so I tend to not think about it. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're alone there. (laughs) No, I would think that many people can relate to that fear. Have you ever seen someone die? Yeah, um... I felt like I was really lucky three years ago, my grandfather, who was really monumental in raising me, like he and my grandmother raised me as my dad was sort of like a single parent. So he was like definitely a second father to me. And we, he was on dialysis for seven years and then. It's a long time. Yeah. And it's, it usually apparently isn't supposed to make you live that long from what we, from what I was told. Like, usually it's, like, maybe three to four years if you stay on dialysis, but he... Wait, I thought that dialysis meant that they're trying to keep you alive. Yeah, yeah, but even, like, on that dialysis process, usually people who are on it, you know, they still don't, oh, like, gotcha. live it means forever. Oh, gotcha. sick enough. Right. Gotcha, yeah. So, but, like, he decided that he was going to go off of it, and so they knew what the timeline was going to be. You know, I got a phone call. I was here in Maine. I think it was my dad that told me my grandpa was going to go off dialysis. I got to go home for two weeks and be there and know that I was going to be there throughout the process. I was really nervous about it, but it definitely gave me like perspective on on death and, and that progression and see. And when I got there, he was completely responsive. Wow, still all there, um, was still speaking, and then to literally just watch it from from my grandfather that I knew to the moment of his passing when we were there it was really. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's an, an experience unlike any other, but I feel like it gave me such ease to be there in a way. I really thought it was going to be much worse than it was, mm. but we actually had a hospice nurse there, and it was really helpful because, you know, you don't know what's going on, like, unless you have, like, maybe some tools, like, you don't know what's going on, and so, you know, there were, like, multiple days where we're like, oh, this is definitely his last day, and then there's, like, that exhaustion behind it of the... Oh, is it today? It's like, oh, is it today? Um, and then you're always ready for it. Yeah, right. Like I remember one day it was like my birthday actually, and I was visiting with a friend of mine, 
And then I got a text that's like, oh, you better come back. We think that grandpa's right there. And I'm like, oh my God, is this going to happen? You know, very selfishly, like on my birthday. Yeah. And then like, wasn't that day. So it's just like this like emotional roller coaster piece. Anyway, I was thankful to have a hospice nurse there because it was very, she said it was very obvious when the time, oh, when really? it was time, she was like, it's now time to say your goodbyes and just like let go. And it was really, it was really intense, but like super helpful to have a professional there because I think it would have been so much more emotional and terrifying mm-hmm. had she not been there. One thing I was struck by, which I relate to what you're saying, is just how slow mm-hmm. we, that process goes and how yeah, valuable someone who has been through it before is to sort of give you the, because you do, you have so many questions, like it's impossible to understand if you've never seen it before, I think. And I think we think about it maybe in birth more than we think about it in death because mm-hmm. it's like we usually go some, you know, I shouldn't say we we all go somewhere, but it's like we have like this big plan for bringing life into the world. And up until that point, I never really thought about making the plan for as you're exiting. And I'm not even talking about this stuff after the financials and the funeral or whatever, but that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say. You, you do think it's like, oh, any moment now, any mm-hmm. moment now, any moment now. And you're like a week later, you're like wow, it's been any moment now for weeks and it's exhausting. So you had an opportunity to be with your grandfather when he was still pretty lucid. Yeah. When I got there, I think it was only two days after he had gone off dialysis and he was, he was definitely weak. He had been getting weak for years, but you know, very frail by the time I got there, kind of needed some help getting around, could get around a little bit on his own. Um, And then I think it was literally within a seven-day period of when I was there from then to the end. I kind of have this cute story that I like to tell. It was probably like a few days after I was home and he needed help getting everywhere. So me and my two brothers were switching off, really taking care of him physically. And uh, there's this one time where he had to go to the bathroom. And so he was staying in a room that was right next to the bathroom. So I helped him get there and helped him onto the toilet and helped wipe him Mm -hmm. and It wasn't at all, I didn't even second guess it. It was so just weird and not weird, but it was just so like automatic of a response of, oh, he's going to the bathroom and now I'm going to wipe him. And like, as I was wiping him, he goes, you know, I used to do this for you. (laughs) And And it was this really beautiful full circle moment of just the fact that he was still joking. And it was this kind of transfer of responsibilities. This is the man that like raised me and like I got to... I don't know, help him out in such a vulnerable stage. I've never, I mean, I've never seen my grandfather like that before. He's always been the patriarch of the family. He was like the glue that held everything together. Kind of no nonsense, but like super caring. And so it was just really amazing to have that like transfer of like responsibility for someone that you know in such a completely different context. Yeah, I feel like that's a really interesting thing about like the different gaps of time. And one thing that my grandfather (laughs) would do is, you know, every time I would come home, like my grandpa would be like, oh, are you like, dating anyone (laughs) then like the last time I had come to visit I was with my partner at the time and he was like you know are there any like great-grandchildren on the way and it's really also interesting it seemed like he was wondering if there was like anything else if there were any other milestones that he could look forward to Mm. because I remember he used to say things like oh I really wanted to see you graduate high school. Oh, I really wanted to see Brendan graduate high school. I really wanted to see you graduate college. And so he like kept on keeping these little moments for himself, I think, to to continue on. And then 
I think that there is probably a time where there is just maybe like so much like pain and discomfort mixed with, well, there aren't any other foreseeable like oh, milestones to, yeah. to to like hold on for however much long. Do you, so I'm really struck by the fact that your grandpa chose. Yeah. Like I'm, I am now done. Like I'm going to start the process yeah. of, of <sighs> active dying. What was it like when you were told, so your dad told you, yeah, grandpa's going off dialysis. What was that process like for you to sort of cope with the fact that a loved one has now chosen to die? Yeah, that's a really good question. So kind of the way it was like exhausting, like when watching him go, going through his last week of life, it had kind of been grandpa's last year for honestly like six years Mm -hmm. there was a lot of pressure to like come back for holidays and be around for certain things because it was always oh this is the last time we'll all be together Mm -hmm. um when I found out the news like it also wasn't the first time he had talked about going off of dialysis it was one of those things where I was like mentally prepared and I was like okay that makes sense it's also interesting there is kind of this like struggle and power dynamic in my family of him wanting to go off dialysis earlier sooner but my grandmother really didn't want him to. And so she was the one that was actually like taking him to dialysis, which was like an hour away drive three times a week. So, you know, like six hours round trip, still doing everything for him. And even though that's what she was doing and it was really exhausting for her, she was like very adamant that she did not want him to go off dialysis. So I think that in his decision-making, I mean, I think that we had all been way more supportive of it for longer just because it, you know, he wasn't right. I think you get to a certain point, right. Where it's like, is this a life or am I just breathing? Um, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't going anywhere. Besides dialysis. dialysis. Right. To answer your question, when I found out I was a little bit calloused already mm-hmm. and it was, it seemed like the logical, correct rights decision. And I was almost like relieved in a way I was like, okay. And also I think I was immediately struck by like, again, like what a gift to, not get the phone call that like, Hey, grandpa died, Mm -hmm. but Hey, grandpa is going off of dialysis. Can you be home? Like, and just having that option and opportunity to, to be there during it with everyone in my family. Cause I was the only one that was like away from home at the time too. Did he tell like when he was lucid, when you were there the last time, I mean the last time you were there, did he talk about it? Did he, did he want to talk about it? Was he, did he, how did he feel? I guess, you know, he, he had already made that decision. Yeah, I don't know if, I don't think we really talked about it because by the time I got home, the decision had already been made and like the plan was like the plan was already yeah in motion. motion. Like we already had, we already got like trained on the Met. Like I got there and I got trained on the meds. I got trained, you know, so it was just instantly like into the process. It wasn't like a, like I wasn't a part of the conversation of, yeah. are you sure this is going to happen or not? And I don't think I really addressed you know, wanting to be like, why would you decide now? It it just seemed so obvious and like the... But he didn't bring it up at all. No, no, he didn't really bring it up. I think that it, it just, I think everyone, there was this like sort of unspokenness of like, it made sense. And also like, if we talked about it, it would really upset my grandma to like mm-hmm. talk about it any more than we had to. Because mm-hmm. I think she was just trying really hard to be strong and accept the choice as well. Wow. Did you hear? So when you... When your grandfather was sort of like, he made this choice. He's like, all right, I'm going out. Um, I have this, essentially a timeline, because I think people, you know, 
doctors can probably give you a good sense of how long it will take. When you, when you arrived, was there already a hospice worker there? Yeah, I think we had the hospice nurse coming. I think it was like on an as on call basis. Mm -hmm. She also might've been there more. Yeah. I think she was there like at least every other day at the beginning and then kind of daily towards the end. And then that last day she was like, she was there. Um, I, I honestly don't even remember like really seeing her until like, I don't have recollection of being around her except for like that last moment and like the last time with her. Mm It was nice because it's, like, by the time I got there, like, everyone else in the family, I think, had already known her. Mm. Um, It was really easy to just jump in and, like, trust because I just saw everyone else in my family, like, trusting this stranger to... That must be so weird. Right? I've never worked with a hospice worker before and with my family and and death, but that must be just to accept someone right at the end on both sides for the hospice worker and for the family. Well, right. I can see that going so wrong, like, for our family... Like, we definitely don't think would be the type of family that would reject a hospice worker, but I can definitely see that being such a, like, you don't know what you're talking about, or, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are just so many emotions. Or they're just the presence of death physically in the room. Oh, yeah. This person is here because of death. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I found it a great comfort, and maybe Bridget could speak to this, but it's to just have someone to ask the question to, Mm -hmm. to be like, they did this today, is this... Does this mean they're dying right now? Like, Mm -hmm. you just sort of don't, you get into this space where you're seeking comfort from literally anything that could possibly give it. And to have someone who's not grieving in the same way that you are was really nice. Yeah. I think especially when thinking about the medication and just getting that thumbs up, yes, you can give him more. Mm -hmm. Or exactly like you said, like asking those questions of, is there anything else you can do to make it more comfortable and and just like not knowing like, you know, just like the sounds and like the bodily things that happened during that time and having, I don't know, I like did no research. I did no reading up. Of course, like Google's there and exists, but like I was not researching how to help this person through the end of their life. And so just being able to be like, when she's like, oh yeah, that's going to happen and there's nothing you can do other besides talk to him and tell him it's okay. That was actually really comforting to know that like, oh good, I didn't mess something up or there was one time when it was just like me and my grandpa in the house and like I got really nervous that something was going to happen and then I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to, like I was like, I'm going to kill grandpa even though like that wouldn't have been the thing, but I was like, oh, how awful would it be if he passed when it was just like me here and was there. um, But also he can't, he is, you know, like it's nice to have someone there to be like, no, they're yeah that's what's happening exactly Uh right do you one thing I um was sort of like why has no one told me this was how loud dying is and just like listening to a body struggle to breathe yeah and the death rattle is real yeah (laughs) um did you experience that absolutely I feel like I was staying away from that for some reason like in this conversation because that's the thing that really like sticks out the most especially when I'm thinking about comfort um it's interesting that you didn't talk about it yeah yeah I mean I knew like it was a huge part of the last day and a half I remember like kind of when it started because it started as phlegm Mm -hmm. that we could help with Mm -hmm. 
and then the, the like ice chips, right? That's what they yeah. There's ice chips, and ice there's chips like and these like sponges on like a stick. Sponge, yeah, yeah. Like squeegee. Yeah, they're squeegee. Of, yeah, so they're there's not... ways to manage it at the beginning. And I don't know. This sounds really weird, but it's almost like it's a win when like you're able to help. It's like oh no, like he's he's having this bodily experience, and then like you do something, and then it gets better. You're like okay, good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it gets to the point where it it's literally just for hours on end. This uh emphysema gargle you know like his eyes were still open and like I think that he could still like hear us and understand and so like how emotional are you allowed to be also when you're trying to like help someone through their last moments and yeah that was I think it yeah it was it was so loud Mm -hmm. I and I had no idea I I don't even think I really heard the term death rattle Mm -hmm. but if I heard it I don't think I would have thought of it as like a I think what I what I think of that I think of a skeleton shaking like a like in a Halloween store like like or a dancing skeleton yeah that's what I think of like death rattle but right like a rattle that's like and now the death is going to happen (laughs) but that's not what it is that's not what it is it's literally the body just like yeah your lungs filling with fluid and like over and over yeah yeah, struggling to Mm -hmm. breathe and but it's it's loud it's like you can hear it from the next room. one thing that I experienced um, with that is the the family members being like, like, mom, just stop. Like, please mm-hmm. stop. You know, because it's like you you feel that they're in pain and there's nothing you can do oh, about right. it. And that's, yeah. the, I think, the most torturous part for people is that sound. Because mm-hmm. I'd have that or conversation the, with my mom, too. The restlessness, like the pulling. Pulling at your clothes. Yeah, that's the a symptom of its yeah. desperation. You know, I think that's hard for family members to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, like, really nervous at one point when he was at the nonverbal stage of pulling out his clothes and and just, like, I think he was more, like, bodily restless of just, like, moving a lot mm-hmm. um, and then making noises where I'm like, oh, he just seems so uncomfortable. And I got, like, really in my head because he was no longer verbal about, like, oh, is he regretting his decision right now, right? Yeah. So it's, like, because he made the choice, but, like, yeah. once you're no longer... Or when I think about, like, the last moments even, I remember just, like, sitting there with everyone, and I think I had this thought to myself, I wonder if right now, after it's the too late point, I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if he actually still wants this. At that point, there's nothing you can do, because you're right there at the end of it. Um, Wow. Yeah, Yeah. it was a little, (laughs) it was a little intense thinking, like, thinking back on it, but I mean, I think I hold, but also I think I'm thinking about that right from like a young, I'm thinking, I was thinking right. about that through a lens of like a 25, 26 year old, um, who still in my brain, I still have like a lot of life left to live. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that there's a completely different mindset of a man who is living the past like seven years of his life, basically attached to a machine. And, you know, that's like so much time of thinking and feeling and getting yourself ready. So I, I think that a lot of that is definitely me projecting as like a young person who still has a lot left that she wants to accomplish rather than a dude who had a pretty decent life. It's so nice that you got to be there. Like as hard as it is to watch. Yes, absolutely. I think about what happens when you get to the end and it's not where you're ready to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you like your grandpa got a lot of agency. Exactly. But like if you don't. Right. And, but you have enough sort of like time before you actually go that you could like 
fuck up the remaining part of your life. You know, like, even if that life yeah. is short, like, yeah, I, I relate to that anxiety, too. Yeah. And I also, so I got to be at the end, I, I really want to honor that, like, I got to be there for, like, the glory at the end, whereas everyone else in my family was there the day-to-day for the last four years of his life. Yeah. I yeah. was the one that, like, I went away to college and then, like, lived an hour away and then I, like, moved to Maine, so it's just... I got to be there for the last harrowing effort, mm-hmm. but like, I have no idea. Like, there could have totally been days when, like, my grandpa was losing his shit, but I wasn't there for it, and, like, no one called me about being, oh, my God, like, this was really bad today. So I have this glorious idea in my mind of of what a death can be, because, like, I feel like I really got to see, like, the best-case scenario. It only could have gone better had he gone in his sleep. Like, he was awake, lucid, like, all of that. And I think that there's this... I think we were all hoping that he would go in his sleep, mm. but like, and I haven't done any research on this at all. Like, I don't even know what that means or like, sometimes I'm like, are you ever really in your sleep or are you just sleeping? And then like you wake up because you know you're dying. And then are you just like dying in the dark alone? Mm. So again, oh, you're like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Like, yeah, I don't know. That's a good this question. Is why I can't yeah. talk. This is why I don't think too much about it. Cause I just think of all the different options and it's like, are you actually sleeping? And then you just like, yeah, you wake up breathing. suffocating or <laughs> yeah. Like, right, you know, you though. hear about those people who vomit. Yeah. And suffocate on their vomit. At the end, do they wake up and know that, or are they asleep? I think about that too. Yeah, yeah. We should look that up. Based on what the hospice nurse told me, and I am not a doctor, just throwing that out there. That what appears to be lucidness, perhaps, mm. and like I don't know what the situation was with your mm-hmm. grandmother. Obviously, um, what appeared to be my grandmother trying to communicate with me, like in the last day, was probably not mm. lucid, grandma. It was probably, like, grandma on morphine and also, like, only sort of conscious and aware and then less and less so. And maybe that's not the case for every person, but it definitely seemed like the hospice nurse was like, it seems like she's trying to talk to you, but, like, probably maybe not. You know, like, like her, the self that was your grandmother is not there anymore. And I found comfort in that, knowing this, like, okay, like, she's not, either she's on enough drugs or is far enough into this process that like she's not even sort of aware that we're here and like there's part of that that's heartbreaking but then there's part of that like comforting knowing that hopefully she didn't have that experience of Mm -hmm. waking up and suffocating and being totally aware that you're dying Mm. i don't know i'd be really curious to talk about someone who like almost died and came back Mm. you know to see like what yeah because we don't really know but i think it yeah but i think that even all instances of almost dying and coming back depending on how it happens like drowning or suffocating in your sleep or something like i feel like all of that stuff would be different like the experiences are would all it be must different. be right. yeah right i know and then i just think of the most extremes which are awful again i think it's more about like how i die rather than like maybe the moment of dying like I remember, you know, being in sixth grade and watching like the 9-11 jumping out the to die. And like, I think I'm most mostly thinking about like, am I going to die in fear or am I going to die in peace? I think something that's really topical for me right now are the school shootings. Mm-hmm. And just like, so if you saw someone walk into your classroom with a gun, you saw them like literally like, sh- like shooting at every single person and just that's your last right and so it's like that's just absolute like fear for me like I don't think that that would I don't think I would like accept that with peace that so for me I think that that's just the worst is just being in a situation where you know you're going 
to die and it seems like and it seems like so unfair and yeah unfair and unjustness of it of, of just I don't know I think that this podcast has been on my mind a little bit and so like I think I was sitting I went and saw like a movie today and I had this quick moment of just being like it was a documentary about uh, Lorraine Hansberry, and she was a playwright activist in the 1900s. And just thinking about when there was the bombing of the church where the four little girls died, yeah. and mm-hmm. and just like how like if somebody like hated, and then at that moment in the documentary, I just thought of like what if somebody just like came into this theater right now and just started like shooting. I don't know. So that for me, yeah. just like I don't yeah. know why it feels so heavy. Um, it's a very real fear in our moment. Yeah, it is like, absolutely like like, like at any point like you don't want to go anywhere safe. you don't want to go to movie theaters you don't want to go to concerts you know mm-hmm. like schools yeah. which like for me when I was a oh, kid was God. the safest place I could think of like the fact that kids now can't think of their schools that way is really right. nightmarish I think living knowing that we don't have policies to support the fact that I could die my worst feared death and the fact that it's not just oh you hear about it so infrequently like. I mean, you look at the stats and, like, how many shootings have we already had this year? I don't – I honestly don't remember what the count is up, up to, but – Well, yeah, it's, like, over 18. Right, exactly. I was I was thinking it was somewhere around, like, the high teens. Yeah. And we're, the end, we're at the end of February. Yeah. We have one last question. Yeah, please. What would you want your last word to be? My last word? Yes. I don't know. Be kind. Be kind's a great one. That's a really good one. Yeah. Yeah. I would, maybe I instead should like memorize like a Morgan Freeman monologue <laughs> <laughs> or like or like Mufasa from the Lion. <laughs> is this heaven? No, this is Mount Everest. You should flip on the Discovery Channel from time to time, but I guess you can't now, being dead and all. I'm dead? Nah, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> That's not funny, man. That is not funny.